0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. So, what'd you do for New Year's, Shane?
1: I went to a buck and duck party.
0: A what?
1: It's a party where you eat deer and duck. That's that was slaughtered by your host. Going
2: to be. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Wait, wait, you slaughtered a no, buck? No, I
1: didn't. My, uh, my host did. Personally? But, oh, yeah. He shot the deer and he um, uh, dispatched the ducks, five of them. Uh, a an act that he documented on Facebook on the Facebook page for the party. So you actually got to experience the full farm to table effect.
0: <laughs> Your food had a face.
1: It did have a face. <laughs> they looked like they were smiling.
0: And how did it taste?
1: Uh, it was delicious. I like duck. Um, it's very fatty. It was very roasty. Uh, we made he made pate with the duck livers.
2: Can I just say that uh, buck and duck is also consistent with you know a headbutt and getting out of the way of a headbutt. That's true. Party where, I don't know, like, <laughs> what would take place at such
3: It's also party, consistent but. with another kind of party, but I don't want to get us, like, a oh, explicit rating or something. <laughs> That's red, what yeah, I thought like, you, you were saying. What it, like, did you do smile. for New Year's? <laughs> you want to know what I did for New Year's? Yeah. Got in bed at about 10.15. Lights out by, uh, totally asleep by 10.45. I think I, like, heard fireworks going off, and I was like, oh, it must be the new year.
1: Hello and welcome to Rational Security, the New Year, New Tweets edition. I'm Shane Harris of the Wall Street Journal. Happy New Year, everybody! We were off for a couple of weeks. I hope you all had great holidays and that you rang in 2017 spectacularly. It's off to a rockin' start. It's only January fourth. Uh, it's it's going. Trump's been uh, tweeting. Uh,
0: <laughs> can it, only go up from here.
1: Yeah. Gonna be a good year, you guys. Everybody was it.
2: was so excited that 2016 was done, and it really felt like an out of the frying pan into the fire kind of situation. Yeah. I mean, I, I I can't pretend to be optimistic that this, 2017. Is you could be also better. call
1: like the first week of January 2017 sort of the hangover from 2016, right? I mean.
0: Maybe the whole year is going to be a hangover from 2016.
1: <laughs> we're just still in 2016. We just don't want to acknowledge it.
0: Maybe it'll all
3: just get better. The skies will part. Donald Trump will be able to rule we'll over be a all of us. will be a terrific president. With a steady hand. America will be great again. Maybe we're all wrong. Let's
2: well, and, and, and you know, I, I, in this period of time, uh, flew literally around the world and I have to say that from the beach in Thailand, this all seemed very far away and um... –
0: Oh, thanks, Ben. Don't rub <laughs> it in or anything. <laughs> well, no, no. But then why I had to come back
2: yeah. to it.
1: Yeah, then now you're here yeah, with exactly. us. Stuck. It's also
3: going to seem very far away when we're all in an underground bunker a mile <laughs> <laughs>
0: below the earth. So.
1: Question is, will you be there by choice?
0: <laughs> uh, an excellent <laughs> question.
1: Hey, but for now, we're in the Jungle Studio. And of course, you know my friends, Tamara Kaufman Wittis, Ben Wittis, and Susan Hennessy. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy,
0: Happy New Year, Shane.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, so today on the podcast, the Obama administration sanctions those nasty Russians it says were involved in election hacking. While President-elect Trump continues to insist that the Russians aren't to blame, North Korea says it's close to developing a nuclear missile that could strike U.S. targets. Not going to happen, <laughs> tweets the president-elect. And the latest, not really a ceasefire, takes hold in Syria. Uh, let's start with the, the Russia sanctions announcements, which uh, came in at the at the tail end of December. Um, so basically a response that more or less I think people were anticipating. We sanctioned some Companies that we say assist the GRU and Russian intelligence with hacking. We sanctioned a couple of pretty well-known hackers who had sort of been on the most wanted list of Russian hacker baddies for some time. Uh, we uh, threw out 35 diplomats from consular offices in the United Quote, States. Quote
0: diplomats. Diplomats. Unquote.
1: Moose and squirrel. Out of here. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, it, it kind of a mixed bag of things. But- yeah,
2: and we closed some... Compounds. Some
1: compounds, some dachas. Some
3: summer homes. Some
1: summer homes, which... Uh, summer homes, summer not. I had a very <laughs> funny story, actually, from somebody who once uh, was part of a, a group tailing somebody leaving that summer home. It's a well-known summer home to a lot of people in U.S. intelligence. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I would be curious to sort of, like, start with the, you know, there's the question of, A, is this the reaction slash response that people were hoping for? And, B, do you guys think that it sets a... You know, an effective deterrence. I mean, it was interesting to me that Vladimir Putin threatened to throw out 35 American officials from Russia and then backed off it, but because he said he thought that he would have a better relationship with Donald Trump. So I don't think you can call that deterrence.
3: Yeah, so look, um, this is certainly the strongest response we've ever had to a cyber incident. Um, one thing that is a little bit strange is it's actually kind of a grab bag response. So it was, um, uh, reported as this is the response to election interference. Um, but actually the White House, um, made a couple of other statements, right? So they said that the expulsion of diplomats was ac- actually retaliation for, um, uh, russian harassment of our diplomats abroad um, which has been sort of a theme over the past year 18 months um, and so there was a there was um, a little bit of uh, a lack of clarity which potentially is problematic in terms of um uh, what message was being sent for what purposes um look the the obama administration was always always sort of had its hands tied here right um, deterrence uh, only really works if it's uh, uh it's a credible future threat um uh donald trump has been open about the fact that he um potentially intends to lift sanctions uh, has a very different um, uh, intends to of a different relationship with, with Russia and doesn't actually believe I suppose that the um, uh, the Russians interfered uh, in the election um, so it, it was always going to be hard to come up with a deterrent response that imposed a suitable cost considering the fact that you know Putin knows he just has to wait kind of three weeks for for the the incoming administration um, one thing that is uh, uh, notable is that once again Again, the White House used this language... there. Uh, this is not the sum total of our responses. There will be other responses, some of which may not be visible. Time
1: of our choosing. Time
3: and place. So, uh, yeah. once again, In the next three weeks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, once again, though, um, sort of this this vagueness that, on one hand, um, is is operationally smart. Right. You you don't want to uh, say exactly what you're doing and when. Um, uh, the need to preserve some sort of covert, uh, uh, you know, operational security. Um, Uh, you know, however, it's, um, almost immediately, uh, we saw the risks of, of maintaining that vagueness or ambiguity, um, which is that, uh, the RT television station, which is of course a well-known Russian propaganda outlet, um, happened to go down in a couple of different markets. It just, you know, the satellite feed went out all over Twitter it erupted. Uh, This is it. This is the response, right? We took out RT. It it turns out that wasn't the case. Um, No
1: Larry King for you.
3: (laughs) What a punishment. (laughs) <laughs> right, that so, was
2: actually the
1: reward.
3: Right, exactly. right. So, so once again, you know, um, uh, what was public significant, but the, the sort of where the rubber meets the road is in this, um, non public space, uh, which always invites the question did we actually do something? Um, was it enough? And did the other side get the message? Uh, I would presume we will know the answer to that question um, sooner rather than later, uh, just because I think that we're about to have a leaky administration. Um, But I think more questions than answers. I also
2: think that a lot, I mean, the oddity of the three-week shelf life of the administration is a real wild card here. So on the one hand, uh, one of the, messages that they're sending is to the incoming Trump administration. And I think the part of the goal of this is to make it harder, not obviously impossible, because the president, when he comes in, can do what he wants, but to make it harder politically for him to pretend that nothing has happened, and to require that he undo things rather than simply not do them, uh, to you know, create defaults that are punitive with respect to Russia for what they believe Russia did. Uh, and some of that is very much like the sort of, you know, designating national monuments uh, is just an effort to create facts on the ground that can be removed certainly, but that have to be removed if you're going to remove them. Um, and I also think that when they say additional – you know things that may or may not be visible. You know at a time and place of our choosing. You know that's partly a way of saying, look, if the Trump administration comes in and the additional steps that they want to take are a big sloppy wet French kiss, you know that'll be particularly visible um, in in light of the baseline that we've set.
0: So, I mean, point of information for those of you who may know, and I don't whether. Uh, if the intelligence community gets a presidential finding and authorization of a covert action, does that carry over into a new administration? Yes. So a new president doesn't necessarily have to renew authorization for an ongoing covert effort. Correct. OK, so that in and of itself, you know, suggests that even though there's a three week window for getting something going, it doesn't mean that it's going to stop on January twenty twentieth. But um, Trump
1: could stop it. We would n- he would but, right, know. but but as well, Ben is saying, know,
0: he would have to take an affirmative step Correct. to stop it. It's not as though it would wait for him to go ahead and and authorize it again. So I think that's that's interesting. But I also, I also find interesting about this Obama response. I mean, if if you're concerned about constraining the incoming administration. The most important thing you can do is is not necessarily all of these specific sanctions and other measures, but the most important thing you can do is get out in public and to members of Congress the actual story of what happened. And so the thing that we're still waiting for, which is the report in its classified and unclassified versions, <clears throat> seems to me very, very important if the concern is to constrain the incoming administration's political cost um, in re- in uh, warming up a relationship with Russia but in terms of deterrence, you know, I think it's very interesting that a lot of this response was treating this as though it were any other kind of intelligence operation, you know, expelling spies and, you know, OK, um, imposing sanctions on some specific individuals, but not anything that is cyber specific. And, you know, going back to conversations we had around the time of the Obama-She summit this summer when we were talking about evolving norms or developing norms in um, cyber war, uh, you know, this is a, a case to me where looking at the Obama administration's response, it doesn't seem to me to have advanced the ball at all in developing norms around cyber warfare. Mm-hmm.
1: And it does seem to me too, like, I was struck by the the rhetoric on, I think, fair to say even on both sides, of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, of people Not all, but some lawmakers coming close to calling this an act of war. I mean saying this was as – or at least right up to that line of a level of aggression, that being the Russian meddling in the election – that, to my mind, sort of, I mean, it makes me wonder whether they feel that this response is actually just too tepid. Well, right. And, and this really that there should have been something demonstrable and forceful saying, you know, if you do this again, there will be consequences so severe um, that, that that to your point, this feels like what we did with Sony, but plus a little bit. Yeah,
0: exactly. and And in fact, what the Obama administration was saying right before they announced these steps was well, we don't want to do anything too tough because we're actually vulnerable to worse attacks than this. Which and members of Congress are saying, I'm sorry, what's worse than this? Yeah, right. right, I, I think
3: this is, look... Um, uh congress has long um felt that the administration both um had an insufficiently developed cyber deterrence policy john mccain has been beating up uh, the administration for years over this um and also that the administration has been um, insufficiently tough or clear-eyed about russia um i think sort of the most um look uh considering um the gains right so assuming that um uh, Trump was, uh, whether it was a mixed motive or, or a pure motive, um, uh, Trump was the Russians' favored candidate. Um, he actually did win. Um, he actually has nominated people who uh, there is good reason to believe will be favorable to Russian interests. Um, there's already been indications that they intend to lift sanctions, if not, um, certainly not continue with, uh, with imposing additional sanctions. Whenever we think about the net benefits here, um, the benefits to the Russian policy, uh, Russian position in Syria, uh, the potential benefits to the Russian economy. um, uh, It's hard to imagine what kind of a response would be sufficient to make it not worthwhile, even if you only got this kind of payoff one in a 100 times one in a thousand times whenever you get this kind of win and frankly it's not just the the win on the ground it's also uh, a new narrative of the ascendant Russia, Russia as the puppet master, Russia as as sort of the controlling the world order, this sort of you know I I think somewhat ridiculous narrative considering that they are operating from a position of um, certainly uh, uh, economic and and also geopolitical weakness Um, um, I, it's hard to imagine what sanctions could possibly be sufficient to really be deterrent in the future. So
2: I'm not sure I agree with that. And I, I think there's a – look, o- Obama – Putin clearly disliked Obama. He clearly had a real vendetta against Hillary. Um, but what uh, – I mean the Trump administration is such a wild card – uh, that whether this works out in a way that's good for him or whether it works out in a way that's uh you know completely unpredictable and therefore uh you know not necessarily to any individual country's uh best interests or you know i i think is is a real gamble from from russia's point of view and i i i don't know whether they meant to get Trump actually elected president or whether they were just trying to hurt Hillary. But if I were Vladimir Putin, I'm not sure I would feel any more stable about the outcome here than I would if I were anybody else.
3: So I think that's – I don't disagree with that. Um, I do think Tammy's sort of point about – uh, the more significant thing being the body of evidence that gets released um, in this secondary report. And I actually think there's a very, very specific audience for this um, and that we shouldn't His get name distracted is Donald by Trump. anything else. Sorry. But it's not <laughs> Donald Trump. It's Republican members of Congress. Right. That if this if this uh, report is, is – um, Uh, aim to shift public opinion, I don't think it's going to work. If it's aimed to shift Trump's opinion, I don't think that's going to work. I think this report has a very specific job to do, and that is putting evidence in public um, that both allows... uh, uh, Republican members of Congress to uh, uh, speak knowledgeably to their constituents in public about why they are preserving a position, and also uh, limits the plausible deniability. Um, you know, uh, John McCain, Lindsey Graham, and others have already talked about a lack of will at, at their leadership levels, saying, you know, we're going to do this whether they want to do it or not. Um, what you really need to do is have this report provide them with ammunition um, and a message for why this is so important. Um, I don't know that it can achieve anything else, um, but I do think that if it can serve that purpose, this report could be uh, incredibly uh, important and really important in constraining the the future response uh, in the Trump administration.
1: So, and then just two thoughts on that. I mean, A, it's going to have to be a better report than what was put out by the Homeland Security Department and others, Last week in this Grizzly Step report, which most technical experts regarded as a hot mess, um, <clears throat> is that indeed. a technical term? A hot mess? Uh, yeah, I got it. Yeah, definitely, it's a hot mess. Um, just you know, it, it, it just it was not a helpful report in terms of providing information to defenders. And then of course it got all caught up in sort of the, the technical debate about, well, how should you phrase this? How should you phrase that? And it kind of started to detract away from what I think is, as Susan is saying, politically the imperative here, which is to lay out for the American public really to look, here is the government's best case for why we think the Russian government did this. And I, and I do think that Donald Trump has to some extent boxed himself in a little bit by Hanging his ultimate response on this report, so I do think that they they, they, do, they do intend for him to be an audience of this. I mean, he said essentially, like, I want to see the case made. Well, they're okay, going so to make it to him on release Friday. It,
0: like, did they say they're going to release it Friday? It's
1: supposed to be briefed to Obama on Thursday, and it's supposed to be presented, or at least parts of it, the Trump team is saying, on Friday.
0: 'Cause I could see them releasing a public version on the nineteenth so that it's like one of the first things he has to confront as president.
1: Yeah. The 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 plan is for them to release as much as possible. So there's there's a world in which too, I think, you know, that 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 that, that Trump does potentially get boxed and if suddenly even members of his own party are saying, Yeah, we this is a pretty persuasive report and he says, No, I'm still not convinced. Well, and
2: but that's already happening.
1: It's already happening, but my point is that this would have to be happening in a world after which all the intelligence chiefs at his request sat down and said mr. president-elect this is what we think
0: right and so far he hasn't had that briefing it's no. gotten delayed or whatever oh, so no it wasn't claim. delayed it was always, it was always seen set seen for Friday
1: he just misunderstood the briefing uh-huh. he actually got on Wednesday ah. which was gonna be a feature I think going forward
3: yeah look I mean to the extent that he's um, electing to take pot shots at, at the intelligence community at intelligence scare quotes I um, uh, to the Another extent in that, that in the it. next mm-hmm. several days, um, the intelligence community is going to be making final assessments about, you know, how uh, how risk averse they're feeling in terms of uh, uh, releasing sources and methods or really providing a very strong case to the public as opposed to, to wanting ho- to hold something back. Um, that is one area in which um, uh, I could imagine... Um, Uh, People being persuaded to embrace a little bit more risk, want to put a little bit more of the evidence out there than they would have otherwise, um, uh, because they know that the incoming president is going to deny and denigrate their work. Wow.
1: Okay. Um, Let's move on to our second topic here. Um, So.
3: And in other cheery news. (laughs) In
1: other cheery news, the dictator of North Korea. Before we move
2: on, (laughs) can I just say – that there is something really weird about the president-elect tweeting repeatedly about his own intelligence community? Just just that, like, we should pause a moment. Okay, but they're
0: part of the Washington establishment. He ran against the establishment. He's going to, like...
2: No, I I understand. But when if you're the the president-elect and you're going to get briefed by the intelligence community on... You think Wednesday, and it turns out to be Friday. Do you send out a like? Does the public need to know that you're annoyed that the two day delay happened? I'm sorry, no, there that's wasn't a
3: delay your issue of all the crazy. I'm pointing
2: to something legit
1: here, which I... is that I well, I take another spin on it, which is also that. Somebody in his staff led him to believe the briefing he was getting on Wednesday was about this subject, and it never was. By maybe,
0: the way, maybe, or maybe the guy just doesn't listen. Well, Wait, and no, then no, he's, no, and as no. that goes on Twitter, no, That's no, but,
1: but 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 yeah. but you're all. Yeah.
2: I'm I'm using this as just the latest example. is you know, this is a guy who is, you know, going out there and publicly contradicting. The opinion of the intelligence community on this matter without having heard from them about it, claiming he's got non-public information that he's going to release, then not releasing it. And he's saying all this on Twitter.
0: Why is this surprising you, given that, as you pointed out, everything that the IC and the, the current administration are doing is an effort in part to box in the incoming administration. Of course, he's going to resist that. And so he's trying to delegitimize all of this because it's boxing him in and he doesn't want to be boxed in.
2: Well, I I I don't know. I I think that there's uh, I mean, I I agree with you. I think that's probably part of what's going on. I also think he's showing a lot of vulnerability on the Russia front um by doing this. Um but I I do I do think you know we first, we get used to it right and it stops seeming strange when when he tweets really weird stuff but it's really strange. So
1: I had to struggle with this a lot just in terms of reporting on it because it doesn't it's it's always felt strange to me. It continues to feel completely bizarre that that the president future president is conducting this kind of you know open mic session via Twitter uh, and in the way that he's doing it, but. I also wonder that there's a a risk of if every time we stop to sort of, you know, be stunned by it. it. I I, I don't know. I I, I keep worrying about how are we supposed to calibrate our responses and our reactions to this. I mean, I I do take on the one hand that it's newsworthy any time the president says something. On the other, like, I think it's important that we try and piece these things together. And to your point, I mean, if you take the tweets that he's had about the intelligence community, the question I have is what is the explanation? It's If he's trying to intimidate or shame the intelligence community, that is not going to work. They will neither be intimidated nor shamed. They feel very strong, and they're in their conclusions so what is he really doing like there is some other motivation for attacking your intelligence community that to me is the big
3: question. i agree i think it feels more like preemptive discrediting um there is a uh sort of uh, there's a great um article on the cipher brief from a few uh weeks ago stephen ward who's a former cia analyst um uh and so uh you know in the intelligence community sometimes there can be um sort of a, a little bit of a strain of um like religion or religious i don't know sort of uh fanaticism I'm mean, not that they're actually religious but um but uh, biblical verses are often um uh cited um and so he writes about uh, uh the CIA sort of unofficial motto which is a passage of scripture from John that says and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free um which is something that you know is, is written and and is uh, f- obviously resonates very powerfully um and he's he's written this whole essay about um, actually never knowing that um eight verses later it reads but now ye sh- uh, seek to kill me a man that has told hath told you the truth. Um, and so the awakening of um, uh, being an honest broker might uh, suddenly become a liability uh, in this world, in the new Trump world.
2: Okay. And, and just, just uh, one more point. This morning, Trump uh, <clears throat> tweeted favorably two quotes from Julian Assange uh, denying that Russia was behind uh, the hacks and uh, quoting Julian Assange as saying that a 14 year old could have hacked Podesta, um, and you know, a 300 pound 14 year old on a what, bed. It doesn't seem to be a 400. He's the the 14 <laughs> year old appears to have lost some weight, um,
3: and a 14 year old who just coincidentally also happened to hack the Bundestag. I mean, you know, yeah. yeah. Matt Happens Tate actually,
1: the uh, who tweets at, at PwnAllTheThings, had a very nice response to that. Could
2: have uh, but didn't.
1: Could have but didn't, let me explain. <laughs> so go check it out uh, for <laughs> yourselves. Okay, let's let's move on to North Korea and more tweeting. Uh, so North Korea's dictator Kim Jong-un. Uh, said was uh, I Guess it was last week that uh, North Korea is close to developing an intercontinental ballistic missile that could carry a nuclear weapon to U.S. targets. Um, Trump responded with "Not going to happen." I think it was or "No not, way."
0: Not going to happen.
1: Right. Which which is a, It is that is what you would like to hear the American president say. I think let's let's be clear about that. Um, this story though fascinates me for a couple of reasons. One is it if you kind of piece together the both the test detonations and the missile development that North Korea has been doing over the past year or so, it does seem to a lot of experts, and I think even by just a, a read of the public events, that they're they're getting closer to building this missile, nuclear missile capability than people may have thought they were. So there is there is a, an, an escalation and a progress. And you add to that, um, something we reported in the journal actually, that in the meeting that Trump and Obama had in the Oval Office, one of the things that Obama sort of put in his ear about these are things you're going to have to worry about as big top-tier issues is North Korea. And it seems like uh, that Trump is responding to that. And um, I think there's a... A you know decent chance that there's going to be a North Korea crisis in the next four years that he has to deal with if things keep going in that direction. Um, those are my thoughts on it. I mean, I just I guess I'm sort of thinking what we're talking a lot about Russia. If I'm rank ordering the things, even as a reporter that I'm really interested in right now, one is the Russia issues, and number two is North Korea. And I think that it's fascinating that Obama sort of implanted this idea with Trump before he hands over the keys.
0: Yeah, so it's one of those issues that, um, you know, number one, I think we've seen the North Korean regime use presidential transitions as testing times before. So it's sort of a natural thing as you're thinking about this liminal period and what are the vulnerabilities inherent in it. North Korea is always kind of out there on that list. Um, But in addition, yes, they've made these specific threats uh, or um, specific statements about uh, ICBMs and you know they've had a couple of tests that they have called space program or satellite launches that have really been ballistic missile launches um and uh, and so nuclear experts have been seeing them s- advancing their missile technology um they're doing this in the face of UN Security Council um resolutions calling on them to halt all of their ballistic missile development uh and there are sanctions on North Korea um and, and so it's sort of, it's a challenge to the United States in the specific, specific sense that these are missiles that could hit the U.S., but it's a challenge to the international community and to the sort of law and order, quote unquote, of the U.N. Security Council as well. And, and because the United States has sought to work with China to ameliorate the threats presented by North Korea's nuclear program and its missile program, it's also a challenge to the U.S.-China relationship. So I think it's actually a really interesting issue for a Donald Trump who is a go-it-alone kind of guy, wants our allies to carry more of the burden of regional security themselves, really, you know, has had tough talk about China, very much in contrast to his talk about Russia, um, you know, doesn't seem to value the U.N. Security Council or the international, you know, order. And so, what does a donald trump do about north korea this is not a problem he can solve himself and certainly not by tweeting you know boldly not going to happen so i think it's it's an it's a, an international security issue that uh that shakes his foundations and to the extent that he has a core approach to, to foreign policy.
3: I do think it's going to be a really interesting and, and potentially very scary uh, relationship um, in part because um, one of the uh, sources of, of at least strategic uh, strength uh, for Donald Trump thus far um, has been, uh, uh, he has an asymmetric advantage whenever the other side is playing by the rules. Um, he explo- he exploits um, other people's uh, commitment to to laws or norms or international principles and, um, uh, North Korea um is, does not <laughs> play by the rules. You want to, like, right? Like, they're going to out-crazy you Trump. Anywhere, yeah. Right? They've got their own quasi-mentally stable, um, crazy-haired leader. And, like, they're, you know, they're not interested in being, you know, unseated from this particular throne. Cage match. <laughs> I want a cage match. Right. And so, like, this is a place in which you have two um largely irrational, pretty erratic... Uh, you maybe, know,
2: maybe North Korea should send Dennis Rodman to, right. to you know to represent them to
3: us. Right, and so this is a place in which really, um, you know, uh, to the extent Donald Trump thinks coming in, bulling the China shop, and upsetting the relationship is going to inert to his benefit. If that might not be the case, because actually, uh, they are less. Uh, they can match him, crazy for crazy is exactly, what you're
0: and then some. Well, that's a recipe for stability. I'm excited. So, so
2: I want to just say a word in defense of Donald Trump on the on the North Korean front, which is, you know, we had a very uh, sane uh, leader in Bill Clinton, uh, who was held over a barrel and spanked by uh, Kim il-sung before he died uh, in a nuclear deal that um, that was uh, you know uh, gave that the North Koreans then reneged on and developed a nuclear weapon uh, we had a, a a leader in George W Bush who declared North Korea part of the axis of evil swore to be you know tough on them and they developed and tested a nuclear bomb under his leadership. Obama came in saying he was going to do it, uh, and that nuclear program grew under him. Uh, and, you know, we have an unremitting record of bipartisan failure in controlling the North Koreans. Uh, it is consistent over a long period of time, and the only success that we've had in dealing with North Korea is uh, paying bribes to prevent the outbreak of war on the Korean Peninsula. And that's, in fact, a bipartisan policy because Korea North Korea has got a lot of artillery and some nuclear weapons pointed at Seoul. And so whatever Donald Trump says, in fact, his policy will be to continue paying bribes to the North Koreans to keep out of war and they will continue to develop uh, very serious weaponry and i and 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 i want to say in his defense he cannot do worse than his three predecessors okay, okay so I don't
0: know I'll that grant, that that's true well i'll grant you that in the sense that i think that history you just recited demonstrates that when a government is fully committed to a goal they're undeterrable. and the north korean government for a long time has had the position We will eat grass. We will make our people eat grass, but we will get nuclear weapons. And that's what they did. So I'm not sure it's so much a failure of American policy as it is a level of commitment to a goal on the part of the North Korean government that no no one else was able to match. Um I do think, though, that the ballistic missile threat, the ICBM threat, is different because war in the Korean Peninsula is one thing. The North Koreans developing a missile that could deliver a nuclear warhead to the North American continent is a different thing. It's a different level of threat for the United States. It requires a different kind of response, and it takes that longstanding challenge to a totally different level.
2: But what are we going to do about it?
0: Well, I mean, it, in addition to maybe increasing our own commitment beyond where it's been in these past administrations when it was just about regional security, um, it might also say something about our own missile defense, our own readiness to partner with other governments, including the Chinese, on uh, area missile defense. And I think that's an interesting prospect.
3: Oh, look, I also think it has the ability to profoundly shift the political calculus. Um, uh, if one way um, that the American people um, might have sort of a, a come to Jesus moment about the dangers of having um, an erratic and unpredictable leader on, on security dimensions um, and get over uh, sort of the newfound um uh, affection for isolationism. Um, it is a credible nuclear threat um, on American soil, and so that, um, while we've seen that Donald Trump has been, by and large, um, impervious to political pressure, um, maybe that'll change once he takes office. Um, this, uh, this, uh, nuclear weapons tends to be the kind of thing that um, captures the imagination of, of the American people um, uh, and and Congress in in a way that um, uh, they might be able to mobilize. So this this could end up being um, Uh, far more significant for the Trump administration than they're betting on right now. Okay.
1: Um, Let's move on finally to the ceasefire, maybe not really a ceasefire. We'll see for the umpteenth time uh, in Syria right now. Um, Turkey and Russia are taking the reins on this one uh tomorrow bring us up to speed on um, sort of what nominally what the ceasefire is but what the reality on the ground seems to be
0: right so i think there are some things that are not new and there's some things that are new and significant um what's not new is a supposed nationwide cessation of hostilities agreed between the rebels, and uh, at least Turkey among their supporters on the one hand, and the Syrian government and its supporters, Iran and Russia on the other hand, uh, and what 's not new is that that cessation of hostilities has been honored more in the breach um, than in in its realization. There was largely in the first few days uh, an end to the fighting in the north of the country near the Turkish border, unsurprisingly, but um, continued air assault aerial assaults by the Russians uh, in and around Damascus and in parts of Idlib province um where they argued that they were targeting groups, rebel groups that are outside the scope of the agreement. In other words, uh Al-Qaeda linked groups or ISIS-linked groups. Um in a loose sense, uh there, you know, the bombardments outside Damascus are hitting civilians and they're hitting rebel groups that are part of the ceasefire agreement as well. Um, They are also notably hitting a major water source for Damascus and a large part of the the area around Damascus, and so really threatening the humanitarian uh, situation and the kind of environmental integrity of of the country in a significant way. Um, now, just recently, and since the New Year's Day terrorist attack in Istanbul, the Turks have also begun military operations in the north, in al-Bab, a name that might be familiar because they carried out an operation there last year as well. Um, and so, you know, looking at that news, one has to ask how much of a ceasefire is this really? <laughs> and, uh, or is this really just a Turkish-Russian agreement that they're trying to clear the field so that they can go after their most hated enemies? Um What's significant most of all about the ceasefire agreement itself, though, is that it was negotiated without the United States, without any of the other backer, backers of the Syrian opposition, the Saudis, the Qataris, um, and so on. It's not an outgrowth of the broader diplomatic effort that the United States has been involved in uh, over the last couple of years. And so, you know, it really, number one, um, excludes the United States from any of the next-phase diplomacy, if there is next-phase diplomacy, about negotiating a a longer-term agreement, um, that that diplomacy is supposed to begin in Astana uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, But it also demonstrates that, you know, the Obama administration has said they didn't want to become a part of this Syrian civil war, uh, but they did want to try and focus their energy on negotiating an end to the war, and uh, and in fact, it looks like those who have been a party to the conflict, that is Turkey and Russia and Iran, are the ones who have the leverage to try and negotiate an end to the conflict. And so it just sort of gives the lie to the administration's uh, approach, which has been that by staying out, it could do more than it could by getting in.
3: How much, and I really sort of phrase this as a question, um, how much should we be reading into the newfound closeness between the Turks and the Russians? Um, uh, it was barely a year ago, right, November 2015, um, that the Turks shot down a Russian plane um, that they said had come into Turkish airspace, um, sort of viewed as the low point of uh, Turkey-Russia relations, um, my things
0: have changed in a year. Well,
3: barely a uh,
1: week ago that the Russian ambassador was shot dead in Turkey.
0: Sure, which, you know, which you could say puts more of a burden on the Turks to repair their relationship with Russia. I mean, in, in terms of sort of um, an embarrassment. and
2: There's nothing like a hanging to concentrate the mind. Yeah,
0: right. But more than that, I think since that shoot down of the Russian plane, the Turks have found that actually Russia has a lot of economic leverage over them uh, in restricting trade and restricting tourism. The Turkish economy took a hit. Uh, and then more particularly as um, the U.S. began investing more and more heavily in, the, in its – Kind of coalition in the north of Syria pushing back against ISIS, uh, Turkey saw the the Kurdish uh, fighters that the U.S. was supporting um, becoming more powerful, controlling more territory, and they grew increasingly concerned about whether the United States was going to be sensitive to Turkish concerns about Kurdish independence and the relationship of those Kurdish Syrian fighters to the Kurdish uh, terrorist groups operating inside Turkey. And so Turkey sort of shifted away from um, a partnership with the United States in northern Syria and started looking for others who would help secure their interests in in a post-war Syria. And the Russians have been willing to play ball with them on that.
1: Okay. um, Let's move on to object lessons. Um, I'll go first. I'm reading a delightful book, which seems so fitting, um for the times. It's not a new book. Um Rubicon, The Last Years of the Roman Empire.
0: <laughs> Are you a declinist now, mm. Shane?
1: <laughs> I was turned on to this book. I'm actually listening to it on Audible, which is a great way to uh to read more than one book at a time.
0: Is it being read by someone with a really sophisticated <clears throat> British accent? It is. Wait, Audible
2: is accent. not a sponsor of this site. Exactly. Everybody, read the physical book. <laughs> uh, do not listen to the Audible. When Audible when when Audible sponsors this podcast, then we'll make we Audible don't have a book, mob
3: approach to advertising. A, Audible criticism. book Criticize book
2: recommendations well,
3: um, Double Day is not
1: a publisher pu- a sponsor
2: either. Until but. then, go to the freaking store, pay for the book, and read it. <laughs>
1: Well, you should definitely do that. Uh, This is a 2004 book by the British uh, author and historian Tom Holland. Uh, who offers that in the, in the introduction by the way this just great and spirited defense of narrative history and the idea that like it is perfectly appropriate to relay history as a series of stories even though some historians frown upon that And so, so old fashioned well he's saying yes yeah, he's saying it's back into it, back into fashion now and he posits this great argument that that is precisely the way to write about the Roman Republic because the Romans saw themselves in these sweeps and in these narratives and, and, and were very keenly aware of their own history and their striving for glory. Um, It is a great book to read right now for all kinds (laughs) of reasons. And it would have been a great book to read I think also in 2004 when it was published. And he very consciously calls out the comparisons that people make between the Roman Republic and the United States and then just leaves them at that and tells the sort of the great story of uh, basically Caesar's generation and Sulla, the, uh, the dictator I never really knew about what a son of a bitch! Yeah, no, he was great. Oh, and like had,
2: comic he, book villain, and he had the best best tombstone. Oh,
1: well, what was the tombstone? He didn't say.
2: Uh, no better friend, no worse enemy. Ooh, it's oh, so good. Cool. Also,
1: though, <clears throat> was totally friends like with this famous drag queen in Rome, and like kept him like in comfort the rest of his life. Said he loved him. It's totally, like he uh, was. Uh, he loved his life in the demi as they say. <laughs> So dictator and just delightful heathen,
0: and the book is called Rubicon.
1: Rubicon, it's terrific. It's a it's a great read and very and a very easy read too.
3: Well, speaking of dictators. My object lesson. I am teaching my first class starting next week. At the so Georgetown you are the dictator. Full, yes, and I do. I plan to rule with an iron fist. Um, I'm very excited about this, but I've been putting the final touches on my syllabus, um, uh, which has to include a reference to the honor code. There's all kinds of obligations, right? You know, mandatory reporting and this and that. And I really, really do not want to have to deal with this. I think it's going to be imp- incredibly unpleasant. I just don't want to get into it. So I've decided to adopt a very strong deterrence model um, to getting them not to plagiarize. Public hanging? Well, so no, I've, I my syllabus reads that the class will adopt the general James Mattis approach to honor code violations. Quote, I'm going to beg with you for a minute. I'm going to plead with you. Do not cross us. Because if you do, the survivors will write about what we do here for 10,000 years. <laughs>
1: Not even Sulla could have crafted this.
3: (laughs) And I'm just going to leave it at that and hope that this is scary enough that nobody is going to cross me. I actually wanted to use the I Come in Peace, I Didn't Bring Artillery... I'm, but I'm begging you with tears on my eyes. Do not fuck with me. But I felt like that was, or I'll kill all of you. Yeah. I felt like that was like heavy-handed for a for, a for an undergrad class. If they were graduate students, I might do it yeah. then. But these are undergrads. And so. So
0: do you have a ban on profanity in your syllabus? Or fuck I don't know. Use...
3: <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should find out what the um, what the potty mouth.
0: Uh... Yeah. Do you have to give trigger warning?
3: Uh, I don't know. I have been trying to be Literal. careful <laughs> ever since my two-year-old spilled the glass and, and said, God damn it. I've <laughs> decided to be more careful with what I say.
0: Uh, good luck, Susan.
2: Ben? So I have a nice, non-violent, non-dictatorial object lesson. So ever since we started this podcast, we have had one listener who is, Yes, uh,
0: we've had one. We've (laughs) had one
2: listener. For a while, we only had one listener. Um, but we've had one listener, uh, who has been, I think, is, it's fair to say, our, our top.
1: Our favorite listener. Our, our, he's our our
2: most engaged fan. Always tweets the show, always has interesting things to say. Uh, and that is Phil Walter. Uh, and, uh, Phil Walter has a new website. Um, which is, uh, he's, uh, put out with Bob Hine and Steve Leonard. Um, and it is called Divergent Options.
0: Wait, this is not just a new website. This is like a whole new initiative.
2: Yes. And, uh, so Divergent Options, um, provides, uh, as it describes, quote, unbiased, dispassionate, candid articles at a thousand words or less that describe a national security situation present mo- multiple options to address the situation and articulate the risk and gain of each option. Uh, and then uh, they note that uh, th- while they assess national security situations and provide options, they never recommend a specific option. So the, the, the point is merely to lay out uh, plausible and viable possibilities. Uh, and it is aimed at national security practitioners around the world um, uh, sometimes they are, uh, published by, you know, people, uh, in government, uh, who are, uh, you know, kept anonymous. Sometimes they're, um, published by names. Uh, so it's a really interesting, uh, little project and, um, it's, uh, currently has a call for papers out about, uh, options in the South China Sea. Uh, and so I wanted to do, uh, uh uh give it a shout out. Uh the the website is divergentoptions.org and uh uh congratulations to the crew who were putting it out. Uh uh and I urge everybody to take a look.
0: Go Phil.
1: Cool. Good job, Phil. Uh, and thanks that sounds like a that sounds super interesting. Yeah, and it, a very it's valuable excellent. contribution.
0: And maybe good for your students, Susan. Yeah. yeah.
1: Don't make sure they know not to... But if you plagiarize oil, off <laughs> of one, Divergent one, Options, damn, so help me the God. <laughs> <laughs> they will write about it. I will Lament you for generations. Um, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Rational Security is a production of Spaghetti on the Wall Productions. You can find our show archive at spaghetti on the wall productions.com. You can follow us on Twitter at RATL Security. Uh, please make sure when you download the podcast to leave a review and a rating that actually does help other people find the podcast.
2: And just a message to audible.com. If you sponsor us, we will each recommend a national security oriented audible book. But if you don't sponsor us, no way we're talking about you again.
1: No, we will tell them every other downloadable source to go from and they will remember it for 10,000 years. <laughs> and, plagiarize. <laughs> and
2: plagiarize from it.
1: Our audio engineers Quinta Jurassic. Our show is edited and produced by Jen Howell. Our music was performed this week by Don Kim and the Crazy-haired Cage Match.
0: Oh, awesome. Well, that's so kind like of a good, like, punk band, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, Crazy like here, metal. Mash. A little
1: speed metal. Uh, no, of course, our music is performed by the lovely Sophia Yan. Uh, thank you, as always. Happy New Year, Sophia. On behalf of my friends Tamara Kaufman-Wittes, Ben Wittes, and Susan Hennessy. I'm Shane Harris. We will talk to you next week.